That's why I say it's all hands on deck. Yeah. You, know, you are going to need new nuclear. You're going to need stronger inner ties. You're going to need hydroelectric built, like that's not built. You're going to need more solar. You're going to need advancement of wind technology, storage. So all of these elements are going to be required and none of them by themselves will do it. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. Once again, this podcast was not recorded face-to-face but using Zoom. This is the first in a series of podcasts attempting to unpack the Government of Canada's net zero by 2050 target. A little bit of background first before I get to my guest today. This is the first podcast in a series shining a light on climate change, net zero, greenhouse gas commitments, and and what the implications may be for those net zero commitments. One of the most notable examples of such a commitment is the one by the Government of Canada, which introduced Bill C-12 titled, An Act Respecting Transparency and Accountability in Canada's Efforts to Achieve Net Zero Greenhouse Gas Emissions by the Year 2050. Recently, the Biden administration committed to its own carbon reduction targets, a 50 to 52 percent reduction from 2005 levels in economy-wide net greenhouse gas pollution in 2030. Over this podcast series, I want to unpack these GHG emission reduction targets and net zero commitments to try and understand what they mean for the governments that make these commitments, the potential impacts on the companies that produce and deliver electricity how it will change energy use, and what it may mean for the customer. For this first podcast in the series, I'm joined by Ken Hartwick, the president and CEO of Ontario Power Generation. OPG is one of the largest, most diverse clean power producers in North America, and it also committed to be a net zero carbon company by 2040. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Francis, it's a thank you, and it's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to the conversation we're going to have. Great. Well, you know, why don't we start there? You know, I I would note that the government of Canada's aspirations have been a moving target, right? With a 2030 commitment moving from a 30% reduction to a 36% reduction to a 40 to 45% reduction. What was the evolution of OPG and and your 2040 commitments? I I think it was very much along the lines of you need to start. You know, th- this is something where I think all of us, and I, and I view this in how the federal government announced the change to theirs, is it's p- postponing the effort to yeah. somehow think that you can start in 2040 and accomplish something by 2050 is just unrealistic. So even within our 2040 uh, target to be net zero, What we want to try to do is actually front end as much of the actions as is possible, because it's, uh, uh, you know, it's like a lot of things, you know, the first 10% of something is easy. The next, you know, 10% is a touch harder. The last 10% is really hard. 
Right. And I just think the, the more you can move these forward, the better it is for the climate, for our climate uh, across the world, the better it is for Canada. But as impactful as it shows you're making progress, you're just putting out targets by themselves is actually not particularly helpful. You need to have a series of actions that will lead you to where those target, where you've set those targets. And, uh, and my view is move quicker uh, so that you can get some of that benefit um, early in the process. You know, it's interesting that the whole idea of um, uh, action as opposed to setting targets. I mean, if we look back at Canada as a country, we've set a, a series of targets over the last, well, two decades that we've missed uh, in, in most cases. Um, so, so in terms of the specific actions that you see as, as part of your, your, your action plan to, to actually begin making progress to the, the 2040, um, what, are the, what are some of the big things that uh, are going to be uh, able to start moving you in that direction? Yeah, we have an expression around the company that, that's all hands on deck. Uh -huh. So, and it, it really is, there is no one technology, there is no one solution to the climate problem. Right? It's going to require every, uh, every ounce of ingenuity we have as Canadians and we have, I think, across on the, on the world stage. So, you know, if we look at OPG specifically, you can look through our climate plan and say, oh, you know, obviously nuclear is a big part of it. Right. It's carbon free emitting. Uh, we're, you know, we're uh, refurbishing our Darlington nuclear plant, uh, which will provide 30 more years of clean power. You know, Bruce Power, the other big nuclear operator, is doing the same with one with their facility. Um, you know, we're looking at new nuclear uh, as part of the, and, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit, but new nuclear. You're looking at areas like how can we uh, introduce concepts like advanced electrification, Okay. Hydrogen. Um, you know, we already operate a large hydroelectric fleet. We operate solar. Um, and so it's really taking all of these elements of, of an electricity system and saying, how do we enhance those to support the ability to achieve our climate goals and objectives? Right. Uh, and lay that out in a rational way that will allow people to say, okay, that's action-oriented enough. And really, I think if you can get one or two people to lead or companies or governments, uh, you tend to get a lot to follow. Right. And, and that's the, uh, I think the, uh, the goal in, in being aggressive at the beginning is others naturally want to do, do things that are right and they will quickly follow. You know, um, on that, in terms of the specific actions, um, one of the things, that, and we've chatted about this in the past, that, that we saw recently was the work of the Canadian Institute of Climate Choices that categorized actions as, as uh, either uh, sure bets or, or wild cards. And, you know, their view was, you know, getting to 2030 is going to be, you know, a whole lot of sure bets and a little bit of wild cards built in. But, you know, getting to 2050, a lot of those wild cards, those technologies that we're not certain yet, how does your uh, plan at, at this stage, uh, looking out to 2040, which is only 19 years away, uh, like how much of it would you say is kind of in those sure bet categories? Uh, like, you know, you mentioned your, your, your hydro and your nuclear, you know that stuff works. But you also mentioned hydrogen, which is in kind of one of those wild cards. So what's, what's the balance look like? Yeah, I say before answering the question, it's, this is a great debate we had internally. Uh -huh. So predominantly, we're a bunch of engineers and accountants right. uh, at OPG. And it was, why put out a plan where you don't know the answer? 
Right, that's how we're predisposed. <laughs> right, yeah. so no, no, sort of ninety-nine percent of how you would achieve the plan. Then you put it out. Yeah, uh, but I think we developed a different view. Is that you know maybe I and and on the percentages, I would say we have a pretty good line of sight to sixty percent of what needs to be done. Okay, whether it's sixty or fifty or seventy, it's in that range. Yeah, but the rest are ideas. The rest is a trust in innovation. Yeah. Or I think as importantly, it's empowering the intellect of people, not just at OPG, but mm-hmm. you know, we have amazing partners, vendors all over the country, empowering them to help achieve that ultimate goal. Uh, but we just felt that, you know, if we said nothing until we knew the answer, yeah. how does that innovation come towards the problem? Right. So, so that's why we got all of a sudden very comfortable. And I've been asked this a bunch of times, well, can you lay out the mathematical formulas to how you get to net zero by 40? No, I can't. Right. But do I believe we will innovate our way there? Yes, I do. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's part. And I think the whole world is facing this. There is no government who's put out a 2050 target, a Paris Accord target, anything else that knows precisely how they're going to get there. Right. And that's, that's fine. It's, uh, you know, hopefully it is in that 60% range. We're trying to figure out the last 40, yeah. but, uh, but it's, uh, but I think that's the right way to think about this. Right. And it's, you know, I, I was talking to a group uh, a little bit late, earlier and, you know, we're talking about how innovative is the energy, energy thought, energy industry thought to be. Mm-hmm. It's never really portrayed as this highly innovative industry. Right. But I think it is. And I think because of the climate problem, it is now beginning to attract the best and brightest who want to solve it. Hmm. Gives me a lot of confidence that other 40% that I don't know the exact plan for is going to have amazing people who say, who are going to say, I want to help solve that 40%. Yeah. I could understand how it, there there might have been some discomfort within the company. This is an yeah. industry that's used to you know reliability factors of more than ninety nine percent, and yeah. you're starting to talk sixty forty. That uh, yeah, that could be a bit of a challenge internally. What what kind of reaction did you get uh, outside the company with the stakeholders and and the business community and customers? It was actually quite remarkable to the positive. It's, uh, I'd say we had half the calls I did were around curiosity Mm -hmm. around, okay, how do you think about this? How do you think about getting to 40? How do you think about contributing to Ontario, Canada, getting where we want to go by 50, uh, which was really good. So really good dialogue. The other half were exactly what we just talked about. Are you sure you wanted to say it? What if you're wrong? Yeah. And or what if you don't know? And that those those conversations were every bit as important uh, to have right. because I think what it what I think it'll do in the industry is let others say, well, okay, we don't have to have the whole answer here mm-hmm. because nobody does. There's no government that does. There's no industry company or industry that does. No think tank that does. So it's okay, but let's see if we can uh, draw this influx of innovation and ingenuity, and we, we will all solve this problem. Yeah. One of the things that, that we've been asking for nationally um, and talking to the federal government about is um, for a, a plan, an electrification plan, a national plan that actually kind of describes uh, what the process is going to be and what the impact is going to be as we move to this decarbonized future on our sector. Now, 
your company uh, has been one of the ones that, that has done a, a, some research in this space. So you're uh, actually not starting from scratch here. So your, your plan is actually based on some, some research and, and some work that's already taken place, right? Yeah, you know, if I think if you step back across uh, across Canada and said, we want to uh, eliminate the um, carbon impact of electrification, right? So it's not just how do we make the elect current electricity system more green, i.e. dealing with coal, dealing with natural gas, carbon capture. It is every car is electric. Yeah. And we think that's a hockey stick coming. Uh, every transit bus, every heavy heavy trucking becomes hydrogen, electric, whatever it yeah. be. Buildings become more electric oriented. The first step in these climate plans is to say, how big does the electricity sector need to be mm -hmm. in order to achieve this? And in my view is it's probably double plus some. Right. And if you think about that across Canada and start to say, okay, so I need an electricity system that is double what we currently have, that is it. That to me is the challenge. So it's easy to say, let's be carbon neutral by 50. But if you don't look in exactly to what you ask and say, okay, what does the energy sector need to be, the electricity sector, in order to accomplish that? Right. We will go down roads that don't get us there. And then we'll just redefine targets to appear to be successful, right. uh, is serves nobody uh, well. So th this to me is the missing step that every government needs to start to look at uh, and every policy oriented group needs to look at and link those two. There's where we want to get to for climate. There's what the electricity sector needs to look like to allow it to get there. Right. And right now that is not done. Yeah. It's more just statements of both. Uh, and I, I think if people step back and said, oh, you need a power system that's double the size, um, that presents a very unique challenge for even someone as clean as Canada. Yeah. What does that mean in Ontario? Because it, uh, it, would, it would be double the size as well uh, for Ontario. Uh, that's mm -hmm. not something that's going to be an easy, uh, an easy lift, not by a long shot. No, and I think the uh, if you if you looked at an expanding the Ontario system by something like that, doubling the size, that's why I say it's all hands on deck. Yeah. You, know, you are going to need new nuclear. You're going to need stronger inner ties. You're going to need hydroelectric built, like that's not built. You're going to need more solar. You're going to need advancement of wind technology, storage. So all of these elements are going to be required, and none of them by themselves will do it. So if you just said, um, okay, we need double the system, let's build solar. Yeah. And because we also have to remember every jurisdiction in Canada and the US and around the world will say, we want more solar. Mm -hmm. Price of solar is not going down. The constraint is the mineral. The price right. is going up. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so that's why I say all of these technologies are required. And this is why the, the conversation needs to go to this next level of maturity or, or complexity so that we start to understand this uh, because it, it is, it's a, I, I call it a very complex math equation, easy to solve, but complex. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And as you said uh, earlier on, there's, there's no silver bullet to this. There isn't a single technology that's going to do it. And, uh, you know, the example of, of wind and solar uh, is a great one because they're they're awesome when the wind is blowing and when the sun is shining. Uh, even, you know, in the Ontario context, you're, you're currently backing that with uh, your hydro dams and with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with other technologies. That's not going to change. Yeah. And if every country said, OK, we want X many of megawatts of storage of batteries and every country said they want their proportionate share of that how do you even get the minerals to do it like it they don't exist lithium doesn't exist that quantity so i think the the stat i've seen is something like if france wanted to build out its storage capabilities to support its electrification strategy it uses all the current mined lithium in the world right that's only one country so, so immediately you're into these constraints that, uh, you know, it's like anything. If, if Canada is the only one thinking of something, it works perfect. You <laughs> right. Mexico, Brazil, China, Russia, Europe are all thinking of exactly the same thing. Uh, at, you know, it doesn't work. And that's right. why I say it's, this is going to be a very broad array of technologies that ultimately solve the problem. Yeah. So in, in the science fiction world, you know, um, well, into the future, we're, we're mining asteroids, but we're, we're not mining asteroids right now. What, what are some of the things that, that are immediate changes, um, uh, specifically in, in Ontario and OPG, as you, you know, you've laid out this plan for 2040? Is it starting to change things already? Uh, and what are the sorts of things that, that are changing, if that's the case? The, the biggest change is the thought process at OPG. Okay. And, and I'll tell you what I mean by that is, is every time we make an investment decision now, we are, think, we are saying to ourselves, is that a positive or a negative to the climate change goals and objectives we have? Okay. You know, before you think of a lot of, lot of things, you know, what's the rate, impact on ratepayers, mm-hmm. electricity consumers, uh, what's the impact on the environment, you know, uh, the broadly speaking, what's the impact on our operational capabilities. But now I'd say the first thing is, does it support the direction we, Canada and others want to move on the climate front? Right. And if the answer to that is no, it causes you to step back and say, okay, should we still do it? Like maybe there's a safety reason. Uh, maybe there's some other reason where you say, no, okay, I still need to do it. But increasingly we're saying, let's not do it. And, and so very quickly what is changing as far as the mindset of the company is reframing our investment program uh, to achieve that because we think ultimately that's good for ratepayers, It's right. good for taxpayers. It's good for uh, the country more broadly. And, but it, it's a real shift because it's all of a sudden uh, we have a certain number one criteria that we're using that, uh, that we've never used. So are we getting it perfect? Probably day in, day out at OPG? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, are we refining it and getting it better? I think so. Hmm. And, and I say it's more in the conversation which it needs to be. And the importance of that is that if it's not there, it probably means we're just going to push off decisions and try to solve this problem in 2039, right? which, uh, which then you don't, you never solve it. So right. it's uh, so that's why the, the mindset needs to be there now because most things, and, and you're, you're, you're very familiar with this. There's few things in the energy sector that you can do in a year. These are yeah. planned. There's EA processes to go through. And so all of them are long-term oriented uh, actions and activities. 
Yeah. Hey, you mentioned Darlington earlier in the refurbishment. Um, how how central is that to the the plan to reach twenty forty? Because yeah, I mean, then 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 the question then becomes how central is it to Canada's plans as well? But it, it's it's kind of the cornerstone, right? Yeah. So so if you if you look at uh, Darlington, so it's thirty five hundred megawatts uh, of of power out of it. Uh, by the time we're done refurbishing, it'll be able to operate for another 30 years mm-hmm. uh, which uh, of clean power. And if you start taking that, deciding not to do it, right. where exactly do you find the energy, let alone if you think the system needs to be double? Right. And now I think always the fair criticism of nuclear is, can you really bring it in cost competitive mm-hmm. and, you know, on time, on budget? Right, and that that's been that's been fair. Uh, I think what we're proving on Darlington. So we brought the first unit back on time on budget. Uh, so we have four units there. Uh, the second one is now uh, in uh, refurbishment. It is going really, really well. Yeah. Lots of lessons learned from the first one that will, and so it's trending really well. And we think we'll bring the whole project in on time on budget. Mm-hmm. And that begins to address the problem or the nuclear legacy problem of. Is it more expensive than what you really think? Right. Uh, we are going to prove it is not. Yeah. That uh, it is highly cost competitive. And the other part I'd say on, on a broader climate environmental standpoint is, um, again, from a, you know, having these big nuclear stations that we have, Darlington and the Bruce Power ones and Pickering, it's our environmental stewardship around the materials that are created out, out of a nuclear process are second to none. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm I'm think as I look to things where we just talked about is the amount of solar, the amount of wind, the amount of batteries. They also need to have an environmental stewardship level that is second to none, right? Which they don't right now. You know, yeah. most of the mining is done in countries where which you just sort of dump stuff in a river, mm-hmm. and most of the stuff is made in countries where you just dump the byproducts in a river. So, uh, and then Canada gets it and says, oh great, it came in a box, this is amazing. So I think we have to, again, get that conversation much more mature uh, than what it is right now, but we'll get there because I, I think of the commitment like the Paris Accord. Right, and small modular reactors are, are part of your future as well. How do you, you and, and OPG see that fitting into the future? Yeah, it, it's it's been a really interesting uh, past several months as you look to, you know, Europe just came out and said that uh, uh, nuclear is now part of renewable green meets the criteria. Okay. Uh, you know, President Biden uh, come out and say nuclear is part of it, SMR specifically. Right. Uh, you have the Russians and the Chinese, you know, really well advanced on these. You have France, UK, all moving down this path. So, and I think what it is, is that everyone is starting to realize you can't get to your climate goals without it. Mm-hmm. And so now how do you make nuclear even easier to utilize? Right. And that's really what the what the goal is here is it's sort of like what it sounds, modular. So, yeah. you know, they can be produced in a factory, brought to a site, installed, and even more cost competitive than the big uh, historic nuclear stations. So, so we're excited by it. We're excited by uh, what we think we can accomplish. Uh, in building the first one at Darlington. And then obviously we, three other provinces are part of the uh, uh, MOU on, on Mars, which is great. And and it's going to be part of what Canada needs if Canada is going to achieve its climate goals. Uh, the country will not get there without it. Yeah. And stitching all of this together, 
um, the, the, the legacy nuclear plants that you're refurbishing. Um, we talked about wind, we talked about solar, there's, there's the uh, uh, hydro resources, uh, there's, uh, there's um, uh, natural gas resources. The challenge of stitching all of those things together, uh, even on a, on a day-to-day basis today is not simple. How much of that, um, uh, you know, coordination of the the future uh, electricity system in Ontario is in the sixty percent of sure bets versus the forty percent of someone that's still a wild card? I was, I was hoping the Canadian Electricity Association could tell me that answer. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I'll get right on that, Ken. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's this is this is why strong policy is required. Yeah. Right. It's it's this is the role of the federal government, you know, with a with a heavy um, participation by provincial governments uh, is to work to stitch these together. Yeah. And it's at different levels. And and again, what I see a little bit across the country and I see this elsewhere. So this is not I don't think unique to Canada is just very, very broad policy goals and statements that's not good enough. That policy mm-hmm. has to be uh, defined and help with investment strategies. Doesn't mean subsidization. Yeah. But it needs to be to encourage investment. It needs to be give like certainty around doing environmental uh, assessments, EAs on on anything that needs to be done. Gotcha. Create that policy framework, and then the provinces and energy companies that work within it. Uh, can easily solve these issues and solve yeah. this problem and, and do the do the sort of all hands on deck building that needs to be done. But if you have the policy sort of, you know, high level, not specific, no one quite sure what's the timetable. You know, if it takes you ten years to get an EA, Canada's yeah. not hitting its two thousand thirty goals. Right. And yeah, we got less than ten years. Yep. Right. So it's it's one of those things. And that's not the AA problem is necessarily a government problem. It could be the companies are don't do enough to properly address indigenous issues, other issues that are important for an EA process. So it's the onus is on all of us. Yeah. But that strong, clear policy framework needs to be there uh, if we want to achieve those goals. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, indigenous uh, uh, communities. That's that's been one of the areas as well that that Ontario Power Generation has has been in some cases in the, in the forefront of some of those partnerships. That's presumably part of your twenty forty vision as well, because if we're going to be growing the system, uh, they'll they're going to be partners. Yeah, absolutely, and and this this comes back to you know I think in in Ontario probably the last five hydroelectric facilities we built, our last solar facility we built, all have big indigenous partnerships, you know, equity ownerships in them. And it's the right way to do business. It's Mm -hmm. the right way to, you know, uh, we're building on someone else's land. Um, We want to do it in an environmentally responsible way. And having the indigenous partner there is both good socially for for, uh, the groups involved, but also gives us a really, really good perspective on the importance of how we approach these from an environmental, uh, you know, damage to land. You know, anything we do on this line in some way will change or alter uh, land that we want to operate on. And these partners are great. And I think that's the one maybe I'd say misunderstanding is that, you know, is this slow the process down? Not at all. Yeah. The, the, these part, partners are, they're sophisticated. Uh, they're 
proactive. They're outspoken, but that's every good partner I know is outspoken yeah, right. and, and want to move this forward. So as we look to say we want to double the system, um, Indigenous partners, there is no other way but to have them as partners right. that this will happen. Otherwise, we'll be into the same thing where we have a goal by 2030 and we'll still have nothing built by 2029. Right. Hey, one of the things that uh, I, I ask uh, folks that come on the podcast, Ken, is, is about um, uh, people's journey. W- what was your journey to, to this role at OPG? I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming when you were a young lad in the playground, you weren't saying to yourself, one day I'm going to run <laughs> a large integrated clean energy company. How did, uh, how, how did, you, how did you get to, uh, to where you are today? No, I, I did declare early in grade nine that I was going to become an accountant. So uh, okay. I, that I, that I, I didn't have an exciting childhood, but it was, it was pretty good. Um, no, do you know what? It, it's so, yeah, I came up through uh, Ernst & Young is where I started my, uh, my career as, as an accountant out of, out of university mm-hmm. and very quickly uh, got into the energy and mining sectors, okay. uh, which I really liked. I, I liked because they, they did something, you know, mm-hmm. unlike or made something or, or whatever the case might be. So I found it interesting because of the nature of it. And then eventually migrated to work predominantly on energy companies, including mm-hmm. Ontario Hydro, which was mm-hmm. my first big account at, uh, at Ernst & Young. So I was around the original Ontario Hydro before it broke up into become the parts that it, that it became. Right. Um, and just, I found the energy industry really interesting, you know, partly, you know, managed provincially, partly federally, U.S. very different, mostly public companies, and basically stayed in the energy industry, you know, uh, throughout the bulk of my career, both went to Hydro One, then went Mm -hmm. on to another uh, energy retailer, then went to another energy generator, and then five years ago, landed back at OPG as the CFO. Right. Uh, And then eventually moved into the role that I'm in now. But um, Actually, of, of all the years I've worked in the energy industry, I actually think now is the most exciting time because mm-hmm. like I say I think we're on the cusp of this incredible ability to innovate uh, when it matters the most. And, and that, that, that's a really, really exciting place to be. So when people tell me that, that Google is, is innovative and Uber is innovative <laughs> and pick their company, um, uh, I, I think we are our importance of what we're doing. Yeah. is uh, is exceptionally high and that makes it a, a fun challenge every day. Yeah. So we're on the cusp of this massive change. Uh, we're on the cusp of, of, of the transition. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge that you're facing and that your company is, is facing to start moving us towards the 2040 target that you've got? Yeah, uh, short-termism, if that's even a word. Short-termism, uh, okay. Yeah. So... Yeah. You know, this, this is, if you think about our, or what we've been talking about targets on 2040 or 50, whatever the case might be, can governments and can companies not fall into the, but what's in my best interest this year? Okay. What do I need to do in the next two years because I have shareholders or because I want to get reelected or whatever the case might be? Because the one thing I always know, like, Energy, this whole solving this problem requires long-term sustained commitment. Yeah. The minute I think, no, but I all I'm going to care about is what's important to me in 2021, mm-hmm. I will not think 
how I can solve a problem out to 2040. The decisions, policy decisions I need to make now, the investment decisions I need to make now mm -hmm. won't do it. So I will make incremental short-term decisions and sometime in 2025 or 26, uh, we will reset our 2030 targets because we'll realize we can't get there. Yeah. And that's really a problem for the planet. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what I mean by short-termism. It is all over our industry in Canada and it's all over the industry. When I talk to my counterparts around the world, mm -hmm. and that's why I say policy framework by government to encourage long-term decision-making. If we really think climate change is the major threat to us as, as people, uh, we need to do something then other than think about what's most important in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and to, to quote one of your colleagues, uh, policy is important and aspiration is not policy. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah, policy needs to set the, the path for people to take action. Yeah. And then the action will happen. The results will be achieved. And, you know, if, if we, and then if we miss 2030 by a little bit, that's okay because we'll innovate and catch up. Right. right. If you start doing it by a lot, you get to a point on any on anything we do where eventually you can't catch up. You're yeah. too far behind. The only thing you do then is reset your goals uh, yeah. downward, yeah. which uh, not not a not a enviable place to go. So, are you confident that the public and the customers are 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 sufficiently aware of of what that transition is going to look like and what it's going to mean for them? Or is this uh, or have we not had a uh, sufficient dialogue yet to kind of bring them into the? I I, I don't think no. So the short answer is no. Okay. I, I don't think the general public is even vaguely aware. Right. Um, and I'm not sure from a policy standpoint, people want them to be. Like yeah. I said, we should be really clear on 2050 or 40, whatever 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 the goal goals, whenever they're set. Um, and here is. Uh, what will need to happen in order to achieve those as best we know. The right. things will change. We'll innovate new things, new technologies will develop and, and that'll change the path. But here's what we know. And here's what that will mean to you. That, now that is a very mature conversation to have. I think people are ready for it. Mm -hmm. It's a question of can companies articulate it well enough and, and are policymakers willing to talk about it? Because... Yeah. There's lots of reasons not to be or not to. Well, we're going to bring some policymakers onto the podcast uh, in some of the future podcasts. So maybe I can ask that question. And w one of the other things I did want to touch on before we, we wrap it up was was hydrogen. And, you know, I, I guess it falls into, into that, um, you know, wild card uh, category right now. But I know hydrogen is part of your 2040 plan. So what, what does that uh, potential future look like for, for hydrogen yes. in Ontario? Yeah, so we, we put out a press release on, uh, on might have been Thursday or Friday, that says we are now going to head down the path of building hydrogen capabilities at a couple of our power plants. Okay. Um, and so I actually think that that is a technology and a energy source that has multiple uses. It can be used to produce electricity. It can be used to store it can be a bunch of things, power vehicles. And so we think the time has come for that. Now, lots of people have said, well, we've been talking about it for 20 years. It's about yeah. time. Yeah. But we think it's, we think it's just an economic issue. Can you produce green hydrogen rather than brown or 
or blue hydrogen that's more carbon intensive. And we think you can, and it'll have two purposes. One is to produce to use. The other one is to blend in with gas plants. So gas plants, I, I would say 20 years from now, a gas plant might just be a hydrogen plant. Okay. They, and now again, that's one of the things where you can blend about you know, 12, 15% of hydrogen into a gas plant right now to reduce its carbon emissions. Current technology, yeah. Current, current technology. So this yeah. is one of the areas lots of people are pouring money into this to see if the technology can be advanced. Mm-hmm. on this. So I actually think hydrogen, its its day is closer than most people think. Right. And it won't be economic at the beginning, but neither was solar, neither yep. was wind. Yep. Eventually, you got economies of scale. Eventually, you got, in hydrogen's case, you will have buyers who will pay for green because that'll be their commercial mandate. And, uh, and uh, like I say, I think its day is here. So it'll be something you'll see us very aggressively pursue and uh, and refine over time. Hmm. One of the things I ask everybody, Ken, that comes on the podcast is about a book. Um, I'm always interested in, in what people read. So I, I wonder uh, what the, either the book that you're reading now or recently read that you would recommend to, to, uh, to the listener of the podcast. What would that book be? Well, I actually just finished two. So if okay. I can indulge one. So one was Bill Gates, right? How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. Yeah. Uh, it really, really good book written really simply. Like it is really, really easy to understand. And this comes back to multiple technologies to solve a problem and why we need to get on it sooner than later. Yeah. So really, really good book. And you could say that's that's energy related. A lot of it has to do with energy. Sure. Um, the second one is by Matt Haig, and it's called The Midnight Library. It's totally different. So it, it is a fictional book, and but in the in the realm of COVID and uh, mental illness and mental stress that people are going through, it's a story about how to put things in perspective. Okay. And and so it's it's a totally bo- totally different book. So if you're looking, yeah. you know, it's not a business book. It's not yeah. anything. Yeah. But it's around how to put things that happen in perspective. And and I think, you know, one of the things we see across at OPG and as well as elsewhere is, you know, certain strains around COVID and, and the, the mental stresses of, yeah. of everything that's gone along with it. So it was a really, really good book. It was one of my daughters said I should read it, uh, okay. that it was a fun book to read. So so uh, that's one you read on a, on a rainy Saturday, uh-huh. and uh, but, it, but it's a really good, good read. So Matt Haig, The Secret Library. The Midnight. The Midnight Library. Matt Haig. Matt Haig, The Midnight Library. Awesome. Yeah. Ken, I want to I want to thank you for kicking off this series uh, on 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 net zero and and uh, you know what the implications may be. I really appreciate the the uh, the conversation. Thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast. No, th- thank you. Yeah, it, w- it was great. The topic is incredibly important. So I think as you bring others into the uh, into the podcast on the topic, I will I will listen with great uh, great interest. Great, and and I think that you know not only not only uh, did you uh, uh, give us a lot to to think about, uh, you've also given me a number of questions that I want to ask some of the other uh, stakeholders and interlocutors that are going to join the podcast. So thank you for that. Really appreciate it, Ken. Okay, thank you, and have have a great day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future podcasts in this series, which will include industry, government, and stakeholder guests, further discussing the implications of and the pathways to the net zero future. And as always, 
Let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.